0: Welcome to this month's BP Leadership Lesson. Bill will be talking about the basics when it comes to leadership and Leadership 101. We will be learning this from a few characters in the book of Nehemiah. Let's see what he has to say. Leadership 101. Now what BP Leadership is this, in case you're new, I always had a gift of being able to take somebody that had potential and to touch that potential and make it bigger. And I could find somebody that's got a business, or an athlete, or whatever, and say, try this, and they could do it. It's just a gift. And so, years ago I had a man call me and he said, Bill, I know you've got the ability to kind of coach people that way. Uh, Would you help me? And I said, sure, and I sat down with him one Tuesday, and we began just teaching him. He later became president of a bank. He did so well. He said, I grew, things went well. And he began to invite other friends, and those friends came, and then other friends came. Before you knew it, we outgrew all of that, and then we started recording it. And I've seen through the years thousands of people whose lives have been changed by just getting around other people that want to grow. And that's how you grow. You get around people that want to grow, and when you're with them, it catches up with you. And so, when you think about leadership, I decided we'll talk Bible leadership. I take characters out of the Bible because they're already proven. And and try to show out of their life some leadership skill. So, I want to take the guy that my friend last month did, who was uh, Mike Lynch when he spoke in my behalf. Mike talked about Nehemiah. I want to do the same. You know this much about him. Nehemiah was a guy who was a layman who became a leader. He was a guy everybody overlooked. He was the cupbearer for the king of Persia. Now what that meant was his job was to taste the food before the king tasted it, and if he didn't fall dead, then the king would eat the food. People would try to poison the king so they would slip poison into the food, and the cupbearer's job was to taste it beforehand. He wasn't really well known. He wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't that necessarily that that was a, a great honorable job, but it had to be trustworthy, and it had to be somebody that, uh, that were, it was very important. And so, the king, the king obviously valued him. But then he hears one day that his homeland has been destroyed. He hears that his place that he was raised up at is devastated, and he just gets it on his heart. I'm burdened. I want to go back and help those people that are discouraged to rebuild their city. And that's what his goal is. That's what he wants to do. But he, for four months, he doesn't say a word. You ever had a vision in your mind, your heart, but you can't tell anybody? I mean, you, you got it. It's there. You know there's something that, but you're afraid to say it. And maybe the people you're around, you can't say what you want to say around people. There are A lot of people you don't have anybody to dream with. There are some people you can't think out loud around, because when you do, they will either discourage it, pour cold water on it, or they just won't help you with it. And so, Nehemiah for four months got this burden, how do I go back and help my people? One day he tells the king, the king says, Nehemiah, you're looking down today, what's going on? He tells him. And then the king says, I'll help you. You go back and rebuild, I'll send you letters to give you authority, I'll send you the money. I'll help you. You go and help your people. So, Nehemiah goes back. He rebuilds the walls in 52 days around the whole city of Jerusalem. You know this, in America, it'd take you 52 days just to get a building permit. They rebuilt the whole wall in 52 days. He brought people together, but he had opposition, he had critics, he had people that mocked him, he had people that tried to kill him, he had people that tried to discourage him. This whole book is about discouragement and adversity and persistence and faith. And uh, teamwork and strategies. And so, I'm gonna just give you four or five things real quickly that I believe every leader ought to have. This is Leadership 101. Number one, have a vision. Now the word vision means to see. What do you see? You'll never hit a target you don't see. A vision is something that is a burden with you. Nehemiah began with a burden. It's something that you say, I believe I can do this. Uh, maybe it's a business you wanna open, you say, I believe I can do that. Maybe it's some goal you want to achieve, you say, I I believe I can do this. Whatever it is, it's something that you visualize in your mind in advance. You see it, and then you achieve it. Most of us know the story of Walt Disney, when Walt Disney died just before they ever opened Disney World down in Orlando. And the reporters had taken his wife around on the property, and they were saying, this is phenomenal. Isn't it sad that Walt didn't live long enough to see this? And his wife stopped him and said, no, no, Walt did see it. That's the reason you're standing here. As Walt saw it in his mind and said, there's where I want to be, Nehemiah saw the vision. This is what could be. Anybody that accomplishes anything starts with a vision. You start with the idea of, what would it look like if I could do this? How could I do that? And, and you begin to envision a way to make that happen. Uh, you may need to write it out. I've done that many times in my life with goals I've had. I've just wrote out what my goal is, because if I see it in front of me, I remember times I would write it out on postcards, I'd put it on the dash of my car, I'd put it on, the, uh, on my mirror in the morning. Everywhere I looked I would see what I had. I wanted to weigh one time. I weighed 236 pounds one time, and I wanted to get down to 187. You know what I did? I wrote cards. I look good and feel great at 187. I look good and feel And that's all I did. And little by little I did. Now I'm at 178. But I literally did that through those years to lose about 40 pounds. I'd gotten too busy eating ice cream and fast foods and all that stuff, and, and suddenly I looked up and said, man, I'm in a bigger size I need to be. But then I said, how do I get out of it? I get out of it by seeing myself that way. So, I wrote down everywhere. I see that. If you don't do that, you won't get it. i can give you an illustration. One is years ago about Joe. His name was Joe Hancock. Joe stuttered. Joe could c- t- 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 talk. Joe tried, tried to talk, but nobody wanted to talk to, talk to Joe because it took too long. And one day, Joe was on the campus at Oklahoma State University, this beautiful girl walked by, and Joe saw her. Joe turned to his friend Jack and said, hey Jack, guess what I'm going to do? He said, what? He said, I'm going to marry her. And he said, Joe, that's the prettiest girl on campus. Joe, you don't have a chance. And Joe said, no, I'm going to marry her. And so, Joe decided he's going to marry her. Well, Jack tells the story about how that Joe just uh, was obsessed with marrying her. He had to marry this girl. He wrote out his vision. He planned it and all that. So, Jack said one day the boys were standing around the campus, and this girl came walking by, and Joe stepped up to where she was at. And he looked at her right in the face, and he said, excuse me, my name is Joe. Could I please have a date with you? All the friends fell out because they said, Joe's never said a single sentence without stuttering. And the girl knew enough about Joe, she said, Joe, is that you? He said, yes. She said, have you been practicing that statement? He said, I sure have. I've been standing in front of a mirror for one month going, well, my name is Joe. Would you please have a date with me? My name is Joe. Would you please have a—and ultimately she said, anybody who worked that hard, yes I would." They got married. They dated, got married, and he went off work for the power company. And his whole story in life was, I saw something I wanted bad enough. I worked to go get it. That's exactly true of anybody that ever wanted anything in life. It's the vision. What do you see that you say, I want that? I want that bad enough, I'll go after it. Let me give you some illustrations of how you do it. I believe when you have it—remember Joseph in the Bible? Joseph didn't just— you know, tell his dream. He had to sell his dream. He told his brothers, this is what we're going to do. This is what God's going to do in my life. They hated him, but one thing they said about him was this in mockery, behold this dreamer cometh. Wouldn't it be good if everybody accused you of being a dreamer? They said, all you do is you got dreams, you got plans, you got goals. The people that don't have it don't get anywhere. you got to sell it. Let me give you some illustrations. When I first began over here, you know, I'm no longer a pastor here. I left here like four years ago, but I when I first came. There were 32 people, a dollar and 67 cent in the bank. Came for no salary. It was there was nothing. Okay, and this 32 people was on Easter Sunday. And God began to work, and people began to be reached. And the next thing you know, we didn't have our offerings per week at that time was $300 a week. So we were, we were wanting to grow, and the churches started growing. We started reaching people one day, you know, week after week, and it started growing. And one day I looked around, and the building, the little bitty building we had at that time on 45th Street was slam-packed. People were standing on the back walls. And it dawned on me then, I said, we're going to have to build a building. We're going to have to make more space because people are coming and can't get in. And so I remember walking by. There was nobody on staff but me and one lady, a secretary named Dolores. Now, between the two of us, we could type probably 20 words an hour. Um, and so, I walked by, and I said to Dolores, I was going to do a funeral for a 16-year-old boy that had just died in a wreck. I loved the boy, been a great kid. He was a nephew of a man who's living with his uncle. His parents had died, and he had a car wreck, and he died. And so, I was walking out to go do the funeral, and I turned to my secretary, and she said, She said, Bill, she said, they tell us yesterday we turned away about 30 people. Nobody can get in anymore. little bitty building. And I said, I know. We need a building program. I've been praying for a building program. And I said, I wish we had the money for it. She said, yeah, $300 a week is not going to buy a building. I said, I know. I went on and did the funeral. When I got through doing the funeral, the uncle walked up to me and he said, Bill, thank you for reaching my young nephew. He said, I know he's in heaven today because of the, the effort you made. He said, I want other young kids to have the same opportunity. I want to give you a check to start a building program. And he handed me a check. Now, I didn't even look at it. I just folded it up, and I said, well, thank you. And I thought, well, there's the answer. We're going to start a building program. Maybe we got $50 or $100 or whatever. We can start one. I walked back in, walked by my secretary, and I said, listen, uh, you remember what I said about the building program? She said, yeah. I said, Dan East just gave me a check and, he, and said, start the building program. And I threw it on the desk. I walked past she opened it up, and she said, well, I guess you can for $10,000. I said, what? She said, $10,000. gonna said, we only took $300 a week offerings. I stopped and looked, and I said, $10,000, I've never seen so many zeros. I said, deposit it, we're off and running. I get up on Sunday morning and tell the church, folks, we're packed, we don't have any room, but thank God we got a check this week." And I told them what I told you, $10,000. When I told them, a lady got up. I thought everybody would get up and applaud. They didn't. They stopped and watched one lady who got up, gray-haired lady. She starts walking down the center of the aisle. She's shaking her head. She's going, oh no, oh no. And I'm thinking, this is the good news. What are we all knowing about? And she reached on her hand, and she pulled off a diamond ring. She said, God spoke to me last Sunday. The walls back here, I've noticed people standing around the walls. There's no place to sit. And God said, Miss Edie, you need to give that ring to the pastor and let him sell it and start a building program. Your husband's dead. You don't need the ring anymore. It's of no value. Give it and contribute toward the next generation. And she said, "Lord, um, that's a lot of that's a lot of money to give my ring up for." And she said, "I tell you what, Lord, I'll make a bargain with you." And she knew because she was on the finance committee. She knew we only had three hundred dollars a week offering. She said, I "Tell you what, I'll do, Lord." She said, "As soon as the church gets ten thousand dollars set aside, <laughs> I'll give this ring." That was her promise. She said, now you stand up the next week and say, I've got ten thousand. She said, So I'm supposed to give you this ring. Now you gotta understand, I don't know nothing about rings. Okay, she gives me a, a ring. It's a rock. I mean, that thing's that big around. It's, you hold it up to the light, it just shoots light everywhere. She hands me this ring. It was heavy. And I remember looking at this thing saying, Good night, that is a big big piece of glass. But I still don't know. See, when I got married, I bought Debbie a uh, a ring over at Service Merchandise it cost me eighty nine dollars to get married, and uh, it was a—I call it a Jesus diamond. Uh, it was so little only Jesus could see it, <laughs> and so that was the ring I gave her. Now I'm walking around this big heavy rock. I don't know what it's worth. This is crazy. I got it in my pocket, and I'm walking around. Anybody I'd see, I said, "Hey, you ever seen one of these? Try this out. Hey, you ever seen this? Try this." And every girl that I saw, put this ring on. They could night. I'm playing around with it. One day I decided I got to go over to Baskin Robbins ice cream. I felt led by God to go get an ice cream. And so I, <laughs> I drove up, and there was a man working there. His name, is, is, uh, his name was William Callie. You remember the, uh, the My Lai massacre in Vietnam? Well, that's where he worked at. And so I walked in, he was there, we spoke, and I handed him that ring. I said, Do me a favor, will you appraise this for me? I'm going next door to Baskin Robbins, I'll come back in a minute. So I went next door, had ice cream, came back over, and when I walked in, he said, Bill, where'd you get this ring? I said, lady gave it to me. He said, no, tell the truth. Where'd you get the ring? I said, is it worth something? He said, I'd say $37,500. What? For a ring? I'm looking at this ring. You know, before then, I'm flipping it around, holding it in the light, try this ring on. Now I'm walking out of this store going, stand back. We sold that ring, sold that ring for—and uh, a guy came along, paid 37500 for it. I got up that Sunday and told it, let me tell you what happened last week. I tell that. Then a man wants to take me to lunch. Hey, Bill, can I take you to lunch? He said, yeah. He said, I've been burdened about it too. Man, i got young teenagers. That church is filling up. He said, I've heard those two stories, and God's been burdened. He said, I'm, I'm worth plenty of money. He said, I don't need the money. He said, but God, God wanted me to give you something. He said, I told my wife, i got to come to lunch with you. i got to give you this. He handed me a check, too. Did the same thing. I didn't look at it. I said, you don't have to. No, I have to. I want to. I walked back in and handed it to the secretary. Here's another check. All this vision, shared it in three weeks. She opened it up and says $135,000. I'm just telling you, God began to bless all because of one, that, just a vision. Now, what I'm telling you is this. It's not anything special. You need to just get in your life, what, what I want to do? What's my vision? Where am I going to go? What, how, what can I do to make it better? And I always say it this way, if you do what you can with what you have where you are, do what you can with what you have right where you are, God won't leave you where you are, and He'll increase what you have. And so, that's part of the vision. What great insight from part one of Leadership 101. Bill made a great point about don't just tell your vision, sell your vision. Join us next time for part two of this lesson. To hear more lessons from Bill, be sure to check us out at bpleadership.com or the BP Leadership Podcast. This is where real leaders are made.